Well, hey, good morning and welcome to Christ Church. It is so good to be with you, whether you're here live with us in the East Auditorium, whether you're joining us over in West or you're joining us online. It is so good for us to be together in worship, especially here on Mother's Day. Everybody except for mothers, give me a whoop. Woo! We love our mothers. Um, Man, maybe half this place is uh, just moms here. Um, I am Pastor Mike. It is so good to be with you. I'm one of the pastors here on our pastoral team. And this is the second week of us talking about relationship goals. And so if you're not familiar with this concept, this hashtag has been used on social media 28 million times. And it captures this concept of like, man, those are people that have this like awesome relationship that we are striving to be like. And man, when I see images of that relationship, man, those people are goals that I want to be just like them. So sometimes you will see images like this where you have a couple riding on a single bicycle, not a tandem bicycle. Um, and you're like, oh, isn't this adorable? This is super cute. Sometimes this hashtag will be used for families, and sometimes you'll see images of like couples and their kids like out in the woods, and it's like all picturesque and perfect and heavily filtered and edited, and nobody's crying or having meltdowns or anything. It's just great. And sometimes you see this hashtag used with like vacation photos of like couples out there in the world having fun, going on dates, and sometimes you get couples in front of a waterfall standing over a river on a balance beam. And you're like, gosh, that seems great until you think about the fact that they probably fell over like two minutes later and like floated down the river. Not not good stuff. Um, But relationship goals that are given to us by the world sometimes get us off base as Christians. Sometimes we see these images that people want to aspire to. We see these perfect date pictures, perfect family pictures, and we say, oh, I want to be just like that not realizing that whatever images we see is a mirage and that has no bearing on the health and the strength of those relationships. And for us as Christian people, as we aspire to have strong, healthy, godly relationships, we have to have different goals than the rest of the world does. That for us, our relationships cannot be rooted in the sense of getting more money and making it look like we are the Joneses that everybody's trying to keep up with. For us as Christians, we ought to have different goals that help us with one another pursue a relationship with God. And so we talked about what four goals we can have and I would encourage you to take on as a part of your relationships in your life. And we talked about two of them last week. The first one we talked about was being Christ-centered, that Jesus is not only the center of our lives, but Jesus stays at the center of our relationships as well. That keeps us grounded and focused. The way that we stay Christ-centered is being prayer-rooted, that prayer not only over the people we love, but with the people we love, helps us stay focused on Jesus in what we are doing. Today we're going to talk about being mission-driven, which is the pursuit of the plans and intentions that God has for you as a Christian, and that if we have mission-driven relationships, we can do so much more together than we can do separately. 
The, third, the fourth thing that we're going to talk about next week is covenant keeping, that the promises that we make with one another between us and between God are sacred. And it's much more than just fuzzy feelings. It's much more than the contract we might sign when we get married. It's so much more than that. And we'll talk about that next week. So if these are our full four goals, I would love for you to repeat back these goals to us. So I'm going to say, we are something, and then I want you guys to shout it back. So we are going to be Christ-centered. We are going to be prayer-rooted. We are going to be a people who are mission-driven. And we are going to be covenant-keeping. Excellent. All right, so today we are talking about being mission-driven, which is... Basically to say that God has intentions and purposes for your life and not just for you as an individual, but in all of your relationships. Not only in your marriages, but your friendships, your relationship with family members, co-workers, friends, all of the above. That God has a purpose and a direction for not only our lives, but our relationships as well. And for us as Christians, we cannot just be content with our Christian identity just being some inert quality that defines our personality, but it needs to be something that drives us into action. That being mission-driven means that we use our relationships as a way to do God's work in a way that we couldn't possibly do all by ourselves. And so the first question we have to ask ourselves is, what is our mission? How would we even define our mission? And I think lots of us have different senses of how we would summarize the mission that God has given us. And I encourage you that when you are reading scripture, when you're reading Bible with the people, um, to highlight the verses that help summarize for you what God's mission is for your life. But for me, there are two verses that really summarize what I think it means to be mission-driven in my life. And one comes from Micah 6.8, from the prophet Micah in the Old Testament, who says, He has told you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Did you catch that? What does God require you to do? God requires us to be a people who are just, kind, and always humbly pursuing God in everything we do. The second verse that really sticks out to me to help make a summary is, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Jesus gives this as a final instruction to his disciples in the Gospel of Matthew, one of our eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And his final instructions to his disciples are, go and make disciples of all nations. That this isn't something where we just sit around, but we are a people of action who go out and share the good news with others. So if I were to condense this into four bullet points, it's to say that what does God require us to do? What does God ask us to do? What is our mission? And it's to pursue God, to do the right thing, to be merciful to others, and to share the good news. Now, if you'll allow me to brag on my wife for a moment, one of the things that I absolutely love about her and what made me attracted to her in the first place is that she embodies all of these characteristics so profoundly that I see her as a godly woman who is spending time in the scriptures, in prayer, teaching our kids to pray. And when our kids are doing arts and crafts, recently she's been doing like an adult coloring book 
but with like scripture verses and setting a great example for our kids. And I love the way that she pursues God. Second is that she is a woman of great integrity and that I love that she is always doing the right thing and encouraging me to do the right thing even when it's not my first intuition. And I love that she has what I call the sweetness, um, which her kind of bubbly, like elementary school music teacher personality is just really infectious. And she has a deep well of empathy and compassion for other people that is just infectious. And I love that she never misses the opportunity to share the good news with other people. That one of the things that she's taken up recently is that anytime one of our friends have uh, kids, then she loves to get them like our favorite versions of like kids' Bibles and give them as gifts. And so I love that she never misses an opportunity to share the good news with people. Now, um, her list was shorter. Uh, it was two things of what she was looking for. Has to love Jesus, has to love kids. And boy, am I glad that the list wasn't any longer than that or else I would have been out of luck. Um, but one of the things that I love is that for her and I, because we have these things held in common, we get to keep this sense of mission together between us. And it defines the way that we interact with the entire rest of the world. And when I think about examples of this from Scripture, there is a couple that comes to my mind instantly. It's a couple from the New Testament. So after Jesus um, died and came back, um, these were friends of Paul. Their names were Priscilla and Aquila. And I like to think of them as God's power couple, that they are mentioned six times in the New Testament, and they were companions of Paul, and they started a church uh, they also discipled one of the foremost evangelists, Apollos, and they gave generously to the church. And so um, I think that their relationship and the way that they stayed on mission as a couple is really succinctly summarized in Paul's letter to the Romans, in which he just says this really fleeting, three sentences. He says, give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in the ministry of Christ Jesus. In fact, they once risked their lives for me. I am thankful to them, and so are all the Gentile churches. Also give my greetings to the church that meets in their home. Now, I think this is incredible. I don't know if you caught this, but there are three ways that Paul just very quickly says, look at how on mission this couple is. He says, give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in the ministry. See, them as a couple, Paul considered them co-workers, equals in the ministry that he was engaged with. That he also said, in fact, they once risked their lives for me, that they are not content to just sit at home and play it safe, but they are willing to stick their own necks out for both the sake of the gospel and for God's people as well. And the third way that they're on mission is that give my greetings to the church that meets in their home. You know what that sounds like to me? It sounds like they hosted a small group in their home, that they opened their home and showed hospitality to other people, bringing them into their house and giving an opportunity to share the good news with people. And what I love about this example of Priscilla and Aquila is that they are always mentioned together, never apart. And what that says to me is that these Two individuals, Priscilla and Aquila, in their marriage, they made mission the focus so much so that Paul couldn't even mention them separately. That their ministries were not individualized, but they were together doing this work as 
one. Now, when we reflect on our own relationships, you may have friends or family or a spouse who is Christian, you guys might share a common history that maybe, you know, your partner was, you know, baptized and confirmed as a kid. Maybe, you know, they have a Bible verse up on the wall as decoration in their house. But I think so often we get content with our Christianity being a character trait and not a lived experience, particularly in our relationships that even though we might have relationships with Christians, we may not always be on mission in our relationships. And so the question I have to ask of all of us as a reflection question is this. Do the relationships that you have, do they further or hinder your pursuit of God? Do the people that you form relationships with, do they help focus your attention on what God is doing in this world? Or do they distract you? And I think this is a hard thing for us to get our minds around because so often it's easy for us to get distracted. Pastor Paul also talks about how you know, he in some ways prefers singleness because as soon as you get in a relationship in a romantic sense and you get married and you have kids, all of a sudden you have competing concerns with the main mission from God. That providing and pleasing your spouse, taking care of your kids, those become priorities that come and they rise up the list to a place that sometimes we can get distracted from God's mission for us. The other thing that I think makes it hard to keep our relationships centered in Christ and to be mission-driven is that we don't always agree with the people that we partner with 100%. Isn't that right? Yeah. We very rarely find ourselves in a position where we 100% agree with another human being, even in our closest, most loving relationships. And so it's really hard for us to be mission-driven when... We often can't agree on where we're going. The prophet Amos in the Old Testament posed this question, can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? My question for you is in your relationships, have you agreed on the direction that your relationship is going to take? Have you taken the time to say we are pulling in the same direction and we are working for the same purposes? Because one of my greatest sadnesses when I see particularly marriages where two people are starting to lose that love and that sense of unity is that sometimes I see that people are together but not unified. That is to say, they've started living separate lives from one another while still living in the same house. That to me, I see people that are walking in two different directions but have a string tied between them. And the really sad thing about this is that eventually that rope is going to get tense and it's going to break. And our relationships are going to break when we can't agree on a direction. Some of you guys might be familiar with this quote from Abraham Lincoln, which says, a house divided against itself cannot stand. Maybe you didn't know that 
Abraham Lincoln is actually quoting Jesus, that Jesus has this principle that a single house cannot be working for two different purposes and be divided and still stay together. You see, dissension in any relationship is inevitable. We are all going to find moments in which even the relationships that we hold closest and most dear are going to be put under tension and strain because we can't agree on everything. The dissension is inevitable, but division is not. That we always have the choice to be unified for our houses and our relationships to stand together in unity as one. I think one of the biggest mistakes that we constantly make, particularly in our marriages, is that when we argue, we have this idea that you can win and lose an argument. But the hard thing is that if we are a house united, if either person feels like they're losing, then both of you have lost. That if you don't come to a decision that is win-win, then both of you have lost. And so I think one of the most important concepts that have um, really anchored my relationship with my own wife, her and I have been married for 10 years now, is this concept of team. That even when we disagree, and even when we have tense moments, we constantly remind ourselves that we are pulling in the same direction that it is her and I with God against the world, that our competition is never with one another, but it is with everything else that is not God and not our family. And so when my wife and I get in arguments, often we will end with this. We have a little inside joke between the two of us called hashtag Team Schoonis, and we're the only ones who use this hashtag. Don't go be using it yourself because you're not Team Schoonis. Um, (laughs) But anytime we have a tense moment, we will usually end the conversation with the question, Team Schoonis? In which the other person will respond, Team Schoonis. And for this, it always reminds us That whenever we disagree, we are not fighting with each other, but we are trying to figure out the best way to honor and pursue God together as a team. And that we continue to use that to move forward. And so I hope that you and your relationships, whether they're with your spouse, with your friends, that you may have this sense of team and remind yourselves that you guys are together. And first, you must be united in your direction, even if you can't agree on how to get there right away. Now, if you're in a place in your life where you're like, man, I would really like that sense of team in my life, but I don't quite have it yet. How do I get that sense of team, both in relationships that I don't have yet, or maybe I'm in a place where I'm feeling like I don't feel like a team with my partner right now? then my encouragement to you actually comes from Pastor Andy Stanley, who has this great quote, who says that we ought to become the person the person you're looking for is looking for. That is to say that 
We cannot demand something out of our future relationships, nor can we demand anything out of our current relationships if we are not first working to be that person. That so often I think we want, you know, our partners and our relationships, and we want so much more out of the other person to meet our needs, and we never stop to ask the question, am I putting in the work to meet their needs? Am I working on myself to become the type of godly person that they want to be with? And so if you are looking for relationships that are grounded in prayer and scripture, that are mission-driven and covenant-keeping, we must first ask ourselves, are we that person? Are we holding up our ends of this relationship by being the person that God has desired us to be. And I promise you that when you become that person, you will find yourselves in relationship with people that you never would have thought you had things in common with before, but a shared sense of mission can do so much because a mission-driven mindset attracts mission-driven people. Now, a non-marriage example from my life of how this has worked is I want to introduce you to my friend, Jeremy. Um, so this is me and my wife, Rachel. This is Jeremy and his wife, Lauren. And Jeremy and I were youth directors together in Northfield, Minnesota, but we were at two different churches. And we met very quickly after we both had started. We both started about the same time. And I instantly connected with Jeremy's sense of being mission-driven. That he was a quirky dude who would wear shorts even when it was like zero degrees out. Um, but the guy had such a heart for Jesus and knew the Bible like the back of his hand. And he really wanted to share the good news with kids in our town. And we got to unite over that shared sense of mission. So him and I, early on, we were discussing about, you know, dreams and plans of, like, how could we share the gospel with all of the kids in Northfield, which is a, it's a small town. But we had this idea to have a night of, like, night games, so we decided to do a game called Romans and Christians, which was, like, sardines, if you've ever played sardines, but with, like, a Christian theme. And we were going to get a bunch of pizza, and then we'd play two games, one at the beginning, one at the end, and in the middle, we would share testimony and be able to share part of the gospel. And we had this big dream that we were going to reach the entire town, but we knew that we couldn't do it apart, that if we, either of us would have tried to do it on our own, we would have failed. So we started together, and the first year that we held this event, we had 40 kids that came to it. Then the next year, we got more churches involved, and we were able to get our kids to recruit other kids, and we had 75 kids that came. Then the next year, we had 150 kids that came. And then we did it one more year, and there was 215 middle schoolers that came to this event. Way more than either just the youth group at my church and the youth group at his church. And it was so cool to be able to partner with somebody who was on mission, who had a vision and a dream for what God had in store for our city. And the thing that's incredible is that there's only 600 middle schoolers in the entire town, which meant when we had our final event, one-third of every middle schooler in that town was at our church on a Friday night hearing about Jesus. 
So much was possible when I was able to partner with someone else. Now, that last year, something uh, interesting also happened. So 215 kids when you promise them pizza, that's a lot of pizza, right? Um, so we were thinking, like, how much pizza do we need to feed 215 kids? And we were like, I don't know, maybe like, you know, one pizza for every three kids. That seems pretty reasonable, right? Um, well, we were off in our calculations by a lot. Um, that uh, it actually ended up being four kids to one pizza. But when you do that on the scale of like 215 kids and you're off by that, it meant that we had 18 leftover large pizzas at the end of the night. And we're like, what are we supposed to do with this? And so Jeremy and I, we were sitting at the, the end of the night and we were staring at each other and everything was all cleaned up. And we're like, what are we going to do with all this pizza? Like, we could eat it ourselves, but we probably shouldn't. And he's like, we got to give it away. And I was like, you're absolutely right. But who are we going to give it to? And he's like, Mike, we, we're in a town with two private liberal arts colleges. You're telling me that there aren't college students who wouldn't appreciate this pizza? And I was like, you're right. And, and in fact, earlier today, I was talking with this guy, and him and his community had set up tents underneath the Second Street Bridge because they didn't have homes right now. And so Jeremy and I, we divided up the pizzas, and we sent him to the two college campuses, and I went downtown underneath the bridges. And at 11.30 on a Friday night, we were handing out full large pizzas to random individuals. And I never would have been able to imagine that God would have called us into that situation had it wouldn't have been for that provincial relationship. Now, I know this probably actually sounds like a terrible pitch of like, oh, Pastor Mike is saying we should get into mission-driven relationships, and then we too could spend our Friday nights with 200 middle schoolers handing out pizza to drunk college kids and homeless guys. <laughs> Maybe that's not your dream. Maybe that's not what God has in store for you and your life. But I would encourage you to start being mission-driven in your relationships because you have no idea where God is going to take you and what God is going to do in your life until you start making Christ the center of all of your relationships. Because ultimately, the reason that we are on mission for God in our relationships is because God has always been on mission for us. That from the moment that Adam and Eve left the garden, God has been working for reconciliation between his creation and himself for the entire course of human history. That no matter how many times we as his people have screwed up, God has provided for us. God has sent people into our lives to lift us up. And with every mistake that we've made, he's given us second chances, third chances, fourth chances. And eventually culminated in the gift of Jesus Christ. That God was not content for us to be far away from him. And the work through Jesus has been reconciling us to him for thousands of years. I love how the Pastor Paul sums it up in his letter to the Corinthians, and he says, And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. That God is at work, on mission, bringing us back to himself through Jesus. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him 
For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. You see, you don't have to be perfect like Jesus, but know that you are Christ's ambassador and that the message of reconciliation of God wanting to bring us, his people, back to himself, offering forgiveness and new life, you get to be ambassadors for that message and you get to leverage your relationships with other people to share that good news with others. Amen? Let's pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks that you have been at the heart and the center of our relationships, pulling on us, tugging us to come back to you, that no matter how many times we've denied you and moved away from you, you continue to call us back through mercy and forgiveness and grace. God, we give you thanks for the consequential relationships in our lives with our spouses, with our friends, with our families, and especially on this day, our mothers. We give you thanks that you continue to use the relationships that we have with other people to draw us closer to you, to turn our eyes to your mission of grace and reconciliation in this world. So God, we ask that you give us soft hearts, that as we might find ourselves places of dissension and quarreling with the people that we love most, remind us that you have set us on the same team, that we are working for your devices and purposes, and we're moving and walking together with you in the direction that you have for us in the future. So God, we ask that you continue to walk with us, to be with us, to provide for us, and to care for us as you always have. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.